We just got back from a, uh, a leadership retreat that um, we went up on Thursday night, had some time together, about 35 leaders um, up in Truckee, had a couple different cabins up there. We had the guys in one cabin, the girls in another, and um, we had kind of our meeting time over at the, the ladies' cabin. And so Thursday night was just hangout night, right? So we go up there and just play games. I'm a huge game guy. love games. Um, all kinds of, you know, we're playing card games. We're screaming and yelling. And, and my, my favorite thing to do in a game is just talk trash, right? So I come across super arrogant when I play a game. And it's really just to try to irritate everyone at the table is my big goal. So I did a lot of that. That was really fun. Um, and then uh, Friday morning, we had a session where we were talking about some leadership development. And then we ended up having a, kind of a time of brainstorming for the ministries. And then we had lunch. And then we had a private devotional time where I pulled out uh, a book by A.W. Tozer. Anybody familiar with Tozer? Uh, if you really want to kind of uh, have someone kind of transport you out of your current mindset into a mindset where you feel like there's a guy that kind of walks with God real closely. Tozer's one of those guys. Um, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, and, and it's a small book. So I grabbed that, tore out all the good parts, right, put them in the devotional, and handed them to all the leaders. And I said, let's go outside for an hour, and let's just focus on some of these things and really chew and meditate on who God is. And we had some special time there, and then we came back, and we had some free time, had some dinner, and then we had a, a nighttime session. And in that session, uh, it, was a, it was a really, really neat, deep time with God. And, and here's kind of why. It was church stripped down, simplified, old school. Here's what I mean. We're all in a room, we're jammed in there, right? So there's 35 people in a room. And so everyone's kind of all sitting around in front of each other, and it's kind of packed in. And Jeremy to just bring out his guitar, right? And we had already prepped our hearts. We were ready to go. We were um, already connecting with the Lord. We already had fellowship time where we were had been laughing together, and so people were pretty relaxed with each other. And then we just started getting into the Lord. And little, just a guitar. I love kind of worship with just a guitar, right? Where you're in a small room and. And that means they can repeat whenever they want. There's not a whole band behind Jeremy to where he has to feel like he's leading them to. And this is where he kind of flourishes too. So he starts playing and we're all singing. And um, some of us, you know, are not as gifted in the area of singing. Some of us are. And uh, But all together somehow it sounded just amazing. And, and then we had a, kind of a time of sharing a little bit about what's going on in our lives and We've really been drawing towards this area of wanting to see God move in our midst. Um, I, I think that in modern day church culture, there's not as much God being involved in the church stuff. We do a lot of talking, but God doesn't, doesn't get a chance to show up as much. So when he shows up, it's kind of a big deal. And I just, I just want this place to be like that. Um, I want this to be a place where it cannot be duplicated out in the world. You understand what I'm saying? Where Jesus dwells here and the Holy Spirit's free to move and, and to do what he wants to do. And so we're sitting there and, I, and I, we got done with some of the prayer times. I said, all right, and this is a bunch of leaders. I said, all right, it's just leaders here. We already know each other. Not everybody. There's about one fourth new people. I said, what is breaking your heart? What is something that's on your shoulders that's crushing you? Because we're going to pray for you right here, right now. 
So at first it's nobody says anything, right? And then all of a sudden somebody, you know, breaks the ice and they share something. Well, then all of a sudden that gets tears going, right? Because then everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're, you're falling apart. That makes me sad for you. And all of a sudden there becomes this connection. Well, one of the, one of the gals um, that's kind of precious to us, her name's Nancy Gilman. You probably know her. She greets out in front at the Connection Center. Well, she uh, had really been suffering lately. She's been suffering from migraines for a while, finally got that partially under control. But for about two, three months, she's been suffering from insomnia. And it's just sucking the life out of her. It's just killing her. Every day is horrible when you can't sleep at all. And so she said, I, I'm at my wit's end. So I said, all right, we're going to do this. And every time I would pray for somebody and then I would just randomly grab a leader next to him and say, lay your hands on him. You're praying. And so I prayed for her. Pastor Justin happened to be behind her. So I had him pray over her as well. And we as a team, just as a family, just began to pray that God would, would help her have deep sleep that night to have some form of rest and to heal her up. And it was interesting because the next morning her and her husband walked in and because of her difficulty, they had to get a hotel room. They couldn't stay with us. And they come walking in smiling and Dennis goes, I had to wake her up this morning. And it was just awesome. You know what I mean? That's... So as we begin this morning, I have, I have some questions for you. We are about to read a passage in Scripture of an enormous heavenly worship service. Doesn't it seem like there's a lot of these in the book of Revelation? It seems like we keep hitting these, right? Did you know that there were so many of these in the book? Or was it all dark, doom, terror, stuff like that? No, there's breaks all over the place where heaven erupts in praise. But going into a passage like that cold... Well, you just walked in, it's early in the morning, you're not quite ready to go, you got a little bit of coffee, it hasn't kicked in yet. All of a sudden, we're going to start talking about how great God is, and you're going to know that intellectually, and you're going to go, yeah, yeah, I know God's great. If I asked you, I said, hey, is God great? You're all going to go, yeah. I mean, we've all been, not only have we been trained to do that, but we really believe it, we just don't feel it. So I got a question for you. Do you think that God is glorious and worthy of praise for who he is? If you do, it will result in your worship. So you can't lie about it. You can't pretend. Because if it's not coming out in your worship, you don't really own it. Right? You don't really believe that God... Do I blame you for that? No, not at all. You know how many worship services... Like, we're up there, right? This is a perfect environment. Jeremy's playing. He's got this incredible voice. Everybody's engaged with it. People are raising their hands, getting in the Lord. You know how many lines I sang to Jesus the whole time we were packed in there in the perfect environment where I felt really peaceful. I had had a stressful night the night before, a total panic attack right in the middle of the night. It was just horrible. I was all messed up. But I felt so peaceful in that environment. You know how many times I connected in with the Lord and sang to Him personally? Twice. Two lines. We sang five songs. I get it. It's hard to get into the groove to own the words you're singing. Right? But is there a time when we can own it? 
Is there a place where we can prepare our hearts and get into where we do own the words that we're singing? And believe it, when we read this stuff, are we going to go, yeah, I completely connect in with that? Sometimes you don't praise the Lord because you don't remember what he's like. That's not, it's not bad, it's human. You forget what he's like. You haven't engaged with him recently. You haven't done anything new with him. And so you don't have those warm fuzzies for who he is. If I asked any of you that are married today, hey, you love your spouse? What are you going to say? Yep. Now, do you really love your spouse? Yeah, you do. But do you feel it right this second? Not if you haven't had date time lately, right? Because really, I mean, you haven't had a lot of connection. You haven't been able to stimulate this idea of warm connection, of going, I enjoy you. If I said, do you enjoy your spouse? That's a whole different question, right? When it comes to worshiping God... Do you have any immediate memory of knowing who he is? Sometimes you got to go back and get that going again. For example, A.W. Tozer also wrote a book called what? The Attributes of God. It's a book all about what God's like. I just had to go write a, a paper recently in, a, in an assignment I was given. I had to write a paper on um, how do you define God? And I was supposed to do that in a paragraph. And I, and I tried to politely let them know how long I preach. And I was trying to say, I, I don't believe anything can be said in a paragraph. I cannot say good morning in a paragraph. No, it must be a full page, right? Single spaced. But sometimes you need to be reminded of who God is. Because you don't have any memory of who he is, so it's hard to worship. When you get in that groove and you're reminded of who God is, it makes it easier. All right, so second question for you is this. Do you think that God is doing things that are worthy of praise? You would say, yeah, cognitively, yeah. But he hasn't done it in your life recently, has he? And so you're kind of bummed out about it, and so you have nothing to sing. And even if they put the words up there, you don't own it because in your life, you have a list of six items that God has not touched recently and you feel abandoned. So, no, you have no interest and no excitement about saying God is amazing because in your life he hasn't felt amazing. But we have two options. Either God's really not doing anything or you're not able to see it. Right. Those are only two options. I would suggest to you that it's probably our perspective problem because I really do think God is doing amazing things in our midst. As a matter of fact, if we could collectively gather what God is doing, even in just this room, yeah, we got hundreds of people here, right? You gather all that together and go, hey, listen, let's say one out of every five people just had God answer a prayer and something amazing happened in your life. We start collectively grabbing those. It seems like God is on fire, right? But we're not listening. We're not hearing it. I just told you about Nancy Gilman and the healing that occurred in her life. And you guys were ready to clap. You got all fired up. Why? God didn't do it for you. He did it for Nancy. Nobody even prayed for you. We prayed for Nancy. But you're all excited about it. Why? Because you know that that means your God is good and he does amazing things. 
And that begins to stimulate your heart. Now all of a sudden, once you know that God just touched Nancy and she got a good night's sleep for the first time in three months, all of a sudden now a song shows up, you got a personal connection to it, right? This is how we prepare our hearts. If I start talking about something you don't care about, boring, yeah? I'm a drummer, right? Well, I used to be a drummer. I'm not a drummer anymore. I'm kind of lame now. can't even get in the team, right? But let's say I saw a video and I'm like, oh, I saw this one guy and he was drumming and he could independently do this with his foot and this with his foot and he's drumming around and it was this amazing video. Who cares? No one. Why? Because you're not into drumming. It's not a big deal. Nobody cares. If I start going, well, let's talk about uh, cosmology and let's talk about uh, astronomy and talk about quasars and string theory, yawn, unless that's your groove. How do we make God our groove? Yeah. Where when we hear it from other people, it quickens our pulse and we start going, that's my God. That's my personal Jesus. He's still doing things and he does things in my life and in the lives around us. Then we start buying it. Right. Let me ask you another quick question. How many of you do personal devotions and feel emotionally connected to the book of Psalms when you read it? Raise your hand. Is Psalms a devotional for you? Yeah. Pretty good amount of you. Yeah. I get nothing. I don't know why. I'm broken. Uh, there's something wrong with me, right? I read Psalms and I'm like, that's good for David. But I can't seem to get into it. And I don't know why. Everyone's like, oh, I read Psalm 23 the other day. My life is renewed. I'm like, I got nothing. But the more and more I began to dwell on God and I began to realize that what David experienced was the exact same God that I experienced. And I began to praise God through David's life. And I began to get one in mind and one in spirit with the author of the book of Psalms. I get it. Today we're walking into a worship service. We're a little bit more prepared now than we were, what, ten minutes ago. Would you turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 verse 1. It's page 877. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Um, not everybody had an opportunity to grab the Bible. I know it was your wife's responsibility. I get that. Okay. Just raise your hand and blame it on her. No big deal. Cause you're not a big boy. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Here's the deal where we've come from last week. We watched the burning of the city of Babylon. God exacted judgment on her. This great city, whatever city it's going to be, we had a big discussion online about that. What is the city of Babylon? I don't know, but uh, it, was, it stood for everything that opposed God. It was almost like if you took all the world's perspective and philosophies and concepts that were anti-God and put them all embodied into a city, that was the city of Babylon. So God said, I'm going to tear her down. I'm going to use one bad guy, the Antichrist, to tear her down and destroy her in front of everybody to show that, no, you cannot stand up against me. And we watched that whole thing burn, and God said, when I shut her down in judgment, that is an expectation that now heaven rejoice, and everybody erupted in heaven with praise. We get to see the eruption of praise now. We saw her burn the whole world staring. I never thought she'd go down. I never thought it was going to burn like that. I always thought that she was above everything. And there was this awe of God. 
This city, the city that stood for all those that persecuted Christians, killed God's kids, shed the blood of martyrs. All of that, right? Just got shut down. The Antichrist swept in, devastated the city, and now Jesus is about to ride in and shut down the Antichrist. This heavenly worship service is where we begin. We're only going to cover ten verses. And they look very poetic in the way that it's kind of constructed in the Bible is perhaps in front of you. Because people are singing praise. Every word that they say matters to them because of what they recently have done with God and what he has recently done for them. Let's see if we can't join in along with them, at least in our hearts. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. John said this, after this, meaning the burning of Babylon, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute, meaning the city who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you to glorify you and to praise you. And as we read your word, we're going to try to own it. We're going to try to believe that what they say is also about the same God that we love. And then in some ways, we're going to review what we know about you, what we know about what you've done, tie it into our hearts, and give you praise even now today. May you be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Quick question. How many times is the word hallelujah mentioned in the New Testament? Anybody anybody guess on that? Four times. You just heard them all. That's it. (laughs) Okay. Hallelujah. We say it all the time. It's nowhere in the New Testament but here. These ten verses. Now, in the Old Testament, it's used a little bit more, right? It's really, it's two Hebrew words shoved together. Hallel, which means praise. Yah, which is a shortened version of what? Yahweh, the personal name of God. Praise God. We translate it in the Old Testament. We, I didn't do anything. It's translated in the Old Testament, praise the Lord. That's hallelujah. These are words that we say all the time and we, or we'll sing them. We don't even know what they mean. It's kind of like amen. 
Right? We always say amen. And I ask somebody, you know what amen means? Nope. It means my prayer's done. No, that's not what it means. <laughs> it means hurry up, let's eat. No. It means so be it. Right? In other words, I agree, may it be so. That's what amen means. Well, hallelujah is one of those things. It means praise. Give God the praise that he deserves. So I entitled today's message what? Hallelujah. This is the only New Testament uses of it. Hallelujah. Part 29 of our series. Yeah, we're wrapping it up. John said, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Who are these people? I don't know. I don't know. Inhabitants of heaven could be Christians, could be saints, could be just martyrs. Right. They could be shouting about what God has done, because remember, they said, how long, God, till you avenge our blood. Now he just shut down the city that killed him. So they shout out and praise. Right. Could be angels, maybe. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. What does it mean that salvation belongs to our God? Right. We sing that in a song. Salvation belongs to our right. God. What does that mean? Do you think about these words or we just sing them? Salvation belongs to our God. Why? Because it belongs to no other. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You have no other savior that showed up to save you. Salvation, the idea of saving you away from God's wrath that is coming down on sin and on the world that stands opposed to him. Salvation from your sin, salvation from death, saving you, rescuing you, delivering you out of something else is only God's. He's the only one that can do that. Can't save yourself. No other person can save you. It's only God. Salvation belongs only to our God. Salvation, but it wasn't just salvation. They mentioned three things. What was it? Salvation and glory. What's glory? Glory is what makes you look good. Glory is what shines out of you and makes people go, wow. Really, ultimately, because God is pulling all the strings and doing all the heavy lifting, all the glory is truly his. All the times that you come up and you would say to somebody else, wow, you're amazing. Really, what you said is God is amazing through you. He looks good on you. There's the glory of God radiating out of you is really what you're saying. You know, it's interesting because I remember listening to Tony Evans. Anybody ever heard Tony Evans before? What a great pastor. Yeah. Um, Tony Evans was teaching on the passage where it said that woman is the glory of man. You remember that? That's a weird passage. It was talking about husbands and wives and woman is the glory of man. And uh, husbands, let me speak to you for a moment. Your wife is what makes you look good. If your wife, yeah, not only physically, which is so the case right there. Uh, totally kidding. Not, okay, we'll move on. Here we go. <laughs> I almost got myself in trouble. If your wife is downtrodden and beat up, you don't look very good, guys. I came home last night from being gone at this leadership retreat. My wife was tore up. She's been sick. I was gone a lot. She was beat up. You know what my glory looked like? Nothing. So what's my job? 
My job is to build her back up. My job is to invest in her and to empower her. Guys, she makes you look good. Just like if the sheep look good, the shepherd look good. Right? When the saints are glorifying God by being obedient and shining His radiance, He looks good. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Where is really the ultimate source of all power? Anything that you're going to get done, right, is through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, God. It's the only way you're going to get anything done. Apart from me, Jesus said you can do nothing. nothing. That's correct. For true and just are his judgments. That simply means that God is right and God is fair. Is God right? God is always right. If God is right, that means his word is right about the thing that you're struggling with right now. That means God is right when he disciplines you. That means God is right when he gets in your face and you don't like what he says. God is still right. And God is fair. Is God fair? You don't feel like he's fair, do you? You feel like he gives other people other stuff and not stuff for you. You feel like he plays favorites. Yet there is no favoritism with God, the Bible says. So what's going on? Your perspective's wrong. My perspective's wrong. Right? Because some of us naturally tend towards gratitude and thankfulness by sheer personality. Others of us really wrestle with that. And we feel like God is always being unfair. But he's not unfair. He's never unfair. And if you saw it from his perspective, you would go, yeah, I get it. And one day you will. But God is right. God is fair. He has condemned the great prostitute, right? That city that stood opposed to him. Why is she a prostitute? For she has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. What's that mean? It means that her philosophies have led people to cheat on God. That's all it means. It means that are you buying into the world system because the world system, which talks about the almighty dollar, the me, 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 the you got to have this in order to be successful, the shove other people down so you can rise above this idea that the world is perpetuating through what our media, through advertising, through lives, through friends, all these things that are going on in the world that stand opposed to God lure you. You begin to buy into it. And you cheat on God because God said, I would like you to do this. And you go, but this would get me further. Right. But I want you, I want you to do this. Let me advance you. I'm not what I'm going to wait for you. God, you don't even care about the stuff I care about. You do things like, oh, the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. God, I don't have 40 years. I'm doing it now. And the world will give you shortcuts. That's what the world's good at. He's giving you shortcuts. But in doing so, you're cheating on God. She led the world astray by luring them to cheat on God. People bought into it, but now God has condemned her and destroyed her. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. That's the martyrs that they killed. That's when he got them back, got her back for all the destruction she laid down on his children. God will not just stand by. And let his children be slain. And again, they shouted, hallelujah, for the second time. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. That means total destruction. It's a, what, a figure of speech. Is her smoke really going to go up forever and ever? No. It says it right there, figure of speech. How do I know that? Because in a couple chapters, this world is going to burn and God's going to give us new heavens and new earth. So that old smoke isn't going to go up before God. Maybe new smoke will, right? Because we believe in eternal 
torment. So yes, some smoke will rise before God. But the point of it is what? Absolute destruction. You're done. You will never rise again. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures did what? They fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Now you know both definitions, right? Now it makes sense. The 24 elders, who are these guys? You remember in the throne room, God is sitting there in unapproachable light. In front of the throne are seven lampstands, perhaps speaking of the sevenfold Holy Spirit. Standing in front of that is a slain lamb who represents Jesus. You now have the full trinity. Surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones, smaller thrones. Who sits on those? But 24 other guys. Who do these guys represent? Bottom line, they represent the church and God's kids worldwide, time-wide, everything. Who do we think that they are? Well, I got an opinion. Other commentaries have an opinion. My personal opinion is that they represent the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. Um, I think that's who they represent. Now, is it specifically them? I understand the weirdness that one of them is actually John, the guy who walked into the room. Somebody sitting on his seat, right? I understand all the awkwardness, but this is really about picturing certain realities so things look a little bit weird. Revelation's a bizarre book. But what do they represent? All of the church forever. What do they do? They fall down before God. What's church supposed to do? Fall down before God. What is it to fall down? It's to lay prostrate, face down, on the floor, arms out, extended. That's what it means, right? She got bigger mats, right? Because, yeah, if you do that, you're going to be halfway on the marbles, uh, the concrete there. And who else fell down? The living creatures. You remember them? They're the creepy, weird-looking things. Remember? And they're like, hey, okay, they're persons... They're heavenly beings. They had four different faces. You remember that of a man, that of an eagle, that of an ox. You remember that of a lion. They had all kinds of wings and eyes all over their body. They were like a merge of the cherubim and the seraphim. They who represent all of creation fall down before God on their face and they worshiped him. And they cried, amen. So be it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Then a voice came from the throne. It actually means from around the throne. Who is this? Maybe the elders, maybe the living creatures. We don't know. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Okay, just define believers as two things, servants and people who fear God. Do you fear God? Is there any holy fear in you? You know what holy fear is, right? It's not the, oh my gosh, I'm so scared of that guy. I never want to be around him. That's not holy fear. It's an incredible, deep, moving respect. That's what holy fear is. What? Praise him, you who fear him, and you servants. Do you understand that's your identity as a believer? That you're a servant. What do you think next year's theme is going to be? Year of Servanthood, 2010, Year of Servanthood. We are going to go through all different kinds of books of the Bible. Books like Joshua, learning what it's like to be together and to move out and do things for God. We're going to read different books that talk about how we work together, what a servant's identity is in God, how we serve other people, how we are here for the good works of Jesus Christ. What an amazing year it's going to be. 
servants of God. Praise Him, you servants of God. Right? Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. That's a huge crowd. Like the roar of rushing waters, like a waterfall. And like loud peals of thunder, like a thundering crowd. You ever been in a a sporting event that's, what, more than 30,000 people and they're all shouting at the same time? It's a massive sound. This is far bigger than that. Shouting hallelujah, the fourth and final hallelujah of the New Testament. All the other three looked backwards at what God had done to his enemies. This one looked forward to who he is and what he's doing. Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Almighty, used ten times in the New Testament. One time in Second Corinthians. All other times where? Here. Revelation. Almighty. It literally means the one who holds all things in his control. God is almighty. What does that mean for you personally? It means whatever you're freaking out about right now is in his control. It actually means something. The attributes of God, his nature, means something for you specifically right now. If he is just, it means something. If he is fair, it means something. If he is loving, it means something. He is almighty. That means whatever would stand in opposition to him will fall. So whatever you are worried about right now, my children, they're falling away from the Lord and I don't know what's ever going to happen to them. Stop. God is almighty. Understand? I didn't say everything's going to go your way. I didn't say everything was going to go exactly the way you wanted. I just said nothing is out of control. That's what I said. And it matters. The Lord God Almighty reigns. What do you mean reigns? He's always been in control, right? Ah, but now he's forcing his will upon the world. Now, here that we're seeing, God is pressing in. He's pressing in and going, you, get off my throne. I'm sitting there. Before, of course, I was in control. I've been using the enemy as a pawn. I can use Satan and the demons and every bit of evil and bad. I can manipulate it and move it so that I would be glorified. I can do all of that. I've always been in control. Now I'm going to go sit on my chair. And it will be here on earth as it is in heaven. Before, you always prayed, Lord, may it be so. Now it will be so. I'm stepping into my world and I'm forcing my way. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Make him shine. How do we do that? Rejoice and be glad. You know what that means? It means be fired up and be happy about it. Right? Not a lot of joy sometimes in pain. I always get convicted by it. You remember the story of Paul and Silas in jail? And they're having this little worship service. Man, you throw me in jail, I'm freaked out. Who's that guy? What's going to happen to me? I'm all caught up about me, right? Oh, how long am I going to be in here? Yet you see, you see Paul and Silas, right? They're all excited. There's this joy because they're kind of like, what are you going to do to me? What, you, you kill me? God's glory. No big deal. You got nothing on me. So you know what? I don't care whether I'm in here, whatever. You're feeding me. That's your problem. I go outside. I got to feed myself. I don't care where I go, but I got joy. And as a matter of fact... When we start looking at this, it says, let us rejoice, have this joy erupt in our souls and be glad, be happy about it and give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the lamb has come 
wedding of the lamb. What's that? Well, it means Jesus gets married. Who's Jesus getting married to? Us, the church. We are the bride. Okay, let me put this on pause again. I've been talking to the guys a lot. Let me talk to you again real quick. Guys, anybody uncomfortable being a bride? Okay, super awkward right here, right? You're like, I don't know what kind of dress I should get. Okay, you know what? Deal with it. Here's why. Women always have to spin the other direction. It's always everything in the Bible tends to talk about he and the disciples were all male and women always have to try to get into another mindset. You know what, guys? We need to grow up. All right. I know it's weird. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you're kind of like, well, why, why can't I be the groom? Why do I got to be the bride? Why can't Jesus be the bride? You know, and you try to move it around in your head to where it's manly. Okay, what's the point? There's a connection there. There's a deep connection. The idea of God marrying his people is all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. Why? I read one commentary and it said this. There's a a couple different things that get involved, right? Intimacy in marriage. Is there a deep connection with God? Love, joy, faithfulness. Four different aspects of a married contract. That exists between God and man. There was a couple different parts, and I should say a couple specifically meaning two significant parts of an ancient biblical wedding. There was the betrothal and then the wedding. The betrothal was largely done before the kids were aware of it. It's the arranged marriage concept. Do you remember when the idea of that Mary and Joseph were what? Betrothed to be married. In that day and age, it was arranged for you. You are going to be married. And the only way to get out of the betrothal or engagement period was literally to go through a process very similar to divorce. Faithfulness was demanded. Sometimes they didn't even know each other real well. Okay, in the same way, before the beginning of time, God's people, his children, were betrothed to him. Faithfulness was demanded. And expected to do otherwise is to go through what a process very similar to divorce from God. You understand? Then came the marriage ceremony and the marriage ceremony was kind of a long drawn out process. We've talked about it before, but part of it that was kind of an exciting element was that the guy would go prepare a place. Then he would come back and get the bride at her house Remember that whole, oh, I don't know when he's coming, this excitement, and there's a big procession. He then goes and gets her, and then there's a big procession back to his house where they get a chance to have a great feast. That's what this is talking about. Is there anything in the Bible about Jesus coming back and getting his bride in a big feast? Yeah, it's the same thing, right? Understand the analogy. All right, well, what does it say here? The wedding of the Lamb has come. Meaning in John's world, as he's looking at this vision, that's Jesus has come. And the great feast is about to occur. And his bride has made herself ready. She made herself ready. Wait, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. A better translation is that she was given the privilege of being decorated and dressed in fine linen. Fine linen stands for what? The righteousness, righteous acts of the saints. All right, what do we what do we do with all this? 
Let me give you a fill in the blank. It's on your sheet in front of you. Um, and I held it till now because I have to explain it. I jumped the gun on it and I gave you something that's very misleading. But let me explain. Here's the fill in the blank in front of you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear on your heavenly wedding. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear to your heavenly wedding. Ladies, now I get a chance to talk to you. Is what you're going to wear on your wedding day important to you? Was that a big deal? Yeah, why? Because mostly in life, you're just one among the masses. Now all of a sudden, you're going to have all the people that are important to you, and there's a spotlight, and you've got to stand up in front of everybody. So yeah, you cared what you wore. And what is one of the most common things? When everybody stands, let us all rise, she comes walking down, most people say what? What a beautiful bride. A lot of it has to do with what you're wearing. So what you're going to wear is really, really important on your big day, your special day. When it comes to this, in one sense, you don't have to worry about it. Why? Because Jesus paid on the cross the price to, to give you fine, white, righteous linen. That he gave you the beautiful gown. That he gave you what you needed to wear. He knew what you needed to wear. He provided it. Now, of course, the fill in the blank is wrong in the sense of what? You've got to be a bride first. If you're not a bride, then this doesn't apply to you. I Meaning, if you don't have a walk with Jesus Christ and you are not saved, we're not even having this discussion. If you are, I got some good news and I got a challenge. The good news is the dress is provided for you. It's always by grace through faith. It's always all about God doing the heavy lifting. It's about God calling you to be married in the first place. It's always about that. But now what? You get to accessorize. Yeah? What are you going to put on your dress? You're going to shine it up? What are you going to do? You're going to wear what? Earrings of what? You're going to accessorize. How do you do that? The righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts, that means doing things for God. You go, oh, you're talking about works? No. I'm talking about works only in the sense of what God purposed in you to do. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. That's not in the conversation here. Say, so then what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that ultimately you have been designed. The Bible says that we are what? God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do Good works. Jesus gets to pick out what you're going to do. Jesus empowers you to do it. All you have to do is submit and obey. As you do those things, he worries about the results. But he wants to flow through you and get things done in this world. Are you submitting to his authority? What accessories are going on that dress? Because it talks about there's a time in the end where he's going to sit down and reward his children for obeying him. Saying, man, you did a great job, kid. Nice work. Look at this. All this stuff. Uh, and you, oh, well, Jesus, you did it all. I know. I know I did it all. But the point is, you partnered with me. Wasn't that kind of fun? Isn't it amazing? Yeah, I, I provided all the power. I'm the one that came up with it. But you worked with me. And that's pretty neat. Do you have that view of how you're supposed to live? 
Is anybody carrying around too heavy of a burden about you got to think of things that you got to do for God and you got to somehow do a bunch of good stuff for God to make him love you? Anybody still buying into that garbage? Because that's not the Bible. The Bible talks about you must only what? Obey what God already asked you to do. He's already pre-designed things that you're good at that he's going to have you do. Do you realize that there are things that you are designed to do that I am not designed to do? Do you, do you get that? Okay, because a lot of people wait for the pastoral staff to do the spiritual stuff. And that's not right. That's not biblical. Because if I'm technically not gifted to do it and God didn't call me to do it, then I'm not supposed to do it. You are. If you don't do it, guess what? Doesn't get done. Because I can't do it. You can wait on me all day long. I got nothing. Because I'm not gifted and called to do it. You are. That's why we all matter. We all have to be here. We all have to serve. Because Jesus Christ is only going to empower you to do it. If I do it, I'm just going to burn myself out. We need each other. That's what next year is a lot of talking about. He tells you, I want you to do this for me. I've designed you for it and I'll give you the gifts. Just go do it. Yes, Lord. That's all we say. And we go out. And it makes us look bright and shiny. And his bride has made herself ready. She got ready. She got dressed. She had the whole thing in front of her. She got all prepped to look beautiful, to bring glory to God. Just as a woman is the glory of man, so is is the church the glory of Christ. Are we ready? You ready for his return right now? He comes before we finish this message. You ready? You ready to go? What you look like? You dressed? And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Who are these people? I don't know. They should be happy about it. That's what the word blessed means. Makarios. It means happy. Happy are those that get an invitation. Is that the bride? Some people go, no, it's not the bride. She's not invited to her own wedding. These are the people that go into the millennial kingdom. Okay, maybe so. Could be the bride. Because there's mixed metaphors all the time in Revelation. But all I know is that I want to be on that list. Either I'm the bride or I'm getting somehow I'm getting in. Right? Why? Because of Jesus. Because I'm going to cling to him. And he's going in, so I'm going in. I get to go wherever he goes. At this, he added, these are the true words of God. And at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. It's so honest and practical. If you're really writing a fake book, are you going to write an embarrassing line like that? Wouldn't you just leave it out? He's about to get rebuked by an angel for bowing down and worshiping it, which is completely forbidden by God. Really, you're John. You have access to orchestrate this book. Aren't you going to kind of just fake it and leave that part out? Really, you're going to include this embarrassing moment. I'm all caught up in the moment. All of a sudden, this huge, beautiful, mighty angel of splendor. This guy's just, I'm looking at him, and I'm just absolutely in awe. He's speaking the truth. He's talking, and every time he talks, I feel stronger, and I just fell down to worship him. Is that pretty realistic? You better believe it. I would have fell down before him. I would have immediately fallen down right before this angel. You are amazing. You're awesome. What does he say? Stop doing that. That's embarrassing. Now you're on your face going, um, 
I lost my contact. I was trying to find it. <laughs> do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you, with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Come on, man. We're in this together. What are you doing? Get up. That's embarrassing. Worship God. That's what we're doing here. Oh, right. Yeah, you bet. Okay. You know what's funny about it? He does it again. Is that realistic? Sure is. How much of your worship never gets to God? Stops at the wrong place. Yeah? Yeah, you're worshiping what? Church? You're worshiping what? A person? Yeah, you're going to worship, what, a pastor? Is that where it stops? What, I'm your transformation? Oh, I don't think so. It's always Jesus. What, it stops at, what, sporting events? Somehow, you're really excited about who Jesus is. You just keep seeing him in something else, and your praise goes there. But do you understand, you're always falling in love with Jesus. It's always Jesus. Whether, no matter what it is, you're enamored with Christ. Make sure your praise gets all the way to him without stopping too early. And he finishes out, and he says, For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. It's always been about Jesus. Can we please keep it there? So we close with these thoughts. You're ready to go. Wedding day hits. God gives you the gown. You put it on. You're ready to get married. It's a big day. Accessorized. You're all excited to turn that corner. Look down that aisle. And Jesus is waiting for you up front. And he says, that's my girl. That's who I love. And you get to walk down to him and be with him forever. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. That, Lord, may it be your love that prompts us to do all things. Lord, not the fear and the terror, but the love. May our praise, our worship erupt from a full heart that we have walked with you recently and we know who you are. That, God, that we might be able to own the words that we say about you when we talk with our friends, when we sing a song. And, God, that you would be glorified in our speech, in our actions, in our lives. For, Jesus, you are mighty and you are great. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.